When we think about commodification, we focus on the product or the monetary value, which puts a lot of pressure on the playful nature that is involved in creativity, which is to relax. Hey, you. You're listening to Not Yet, the podcast about our relationships and how they're the keys to our self-discovery. I'm your host, Paige Polk. I'm a community builder and Emmy award-winning digital media artist, channeling the powers of introspection. You're in the right place if you're mindful about the world you create and believe it's possible for us all to belong. I'm so grateful you're here. Now let's start the show. Welcome back to the Not Yet Podcast. I'm joined today by our guest, Xenia Vare. Hi, Xenia. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. I'm so thrilled. I am genuinely thrilled to be sharing space with you right now. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of background about Xenia. Uh, Xenia is a creative catalyst. Her pronouns are she, they. Uh, She's a multidisciplinary artist, imagination healer, and community weaver with a focus on human design and writing. Xenia believes that through reclaiming our imaginations, we have the power to invent new systems, new ways of relating to, and to restore the creative ecosystem to its natural state of vibrant diversity that honors all of our unique natures. Xenia's collective body of work, Myths of Creation, is a container for experiments, writings, and gatherings at the intersection of creativity and spirituality. How does it feel to hear your bio spoken back to you in this way? You know, it's funny because I am someone who often is surprised when I hear back my own writing. And it's sort of like learning about myself (laughs) as if I weren't the person that wrote that, but it feels, it actually feels really good to hear it said and sort of crystallized in those words. Yeah. What did you learn just hearing it now? I learned that, you know, there's a belief that I have that there's a really nebulous way that I describe my work in, but it feels much more clear and grounded. And also there is a thread that's been there since the beginning of my Missive Creation project when it was, you know, a brick and mortar shop that is still there and I feel it in the writing. So it feels really good to hear. Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell me more about Missive Creation uh, when it existed as a brick and mortar space? Yes. So In 2013, I opened a brick and mortar shop in my residential neighborhood. And the purpose of that shop was to create a place where I felt included. And at the time, to me and my understanding of the world, that meant to have things that were really unique and a little bit, I would say, more eccentric than what I was finding out in the market, but also affordable. And what it means to be inclusive feels totally different to me now than it did then. And I can elaborate on that later. But I think that I think that I was really led into opening some sort of brick and mortar through like a series of just following clues and synchronicities around the people I knew and the projects they were doing and what seemed exciting about what they were doing and what seemed more possible because people I knew it were doing it. (laughs) And 
people I knew were doing those things. But the brick and mortar store taught me that I was really good at creating community spaces. And that was not at all my intention at all. It was all about this like affordable, unique shopping experience. And what happened was around 2014 or 2015, I had this really pivotal psychic reading with a local psychic that I was introduced to through a friend. And the friend was part of an art show. And in the art show, everyone had to see a medium and write and create work about their session with the medium. And so my friend who told me about this person was highly skeptical very reserved, took it very seriously and had like a very interesting and good experience. And so she was telling me about it and like everything in my body was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to see that person. Zero hesitation, zero like fear or reservation. I didn't actually realize that other people would have hesitation or fear about that until I recommended this person to others. And they were like, no, thank you. (laughs) But through that, experience that single session with someone I which I feel was like sort of in divine timing I realized a lot more about my spiritual nature and my identity and because of what I have I wish I had better words than this or different words than this but because of that sort of spiritual awakening process I realized that what I wanted to offer the world was so much more than affordable clothing. And so the brick and mortar started to have workshops for empaths and workshops around how to you create your own natural skin products. And I was bringing in practitioners and vendors who I was really interested in. And we had a residential an in-house astrologer for a while. And that was my one most longtime resident uh, practitioner that we had at Myths of Creation. But it's sort of like the space was telling me what was meant to change in it as I was hosting it, facilitating it, creating it. And it was... I can say without a shadow of a doubt what led me into the work I'm doing now, but from like a financial or traditional business perspective, it was really, really hard and not really aligned with what I ended up wanting to do. It sounds like there's a really strong line between the work that you've created or facilitated through myths, even if the physical manifestation of it does shift. And that is what I want to talk to you about today, because I think that's a challenge that a lot of creative people, that a lot of spiritual people, especially when you start navigating or negotiating how that interacts with your business or like how you make money or like how you contribute to the space around you. Like, trying to figure out how, like, what's that that distilled space so that you can go back to and that feels like home. Uh, I'm curious um, about your process of recognizing that line. You know, I think that 
Okay, so this is just like really my personal perspective on the world at this time. And this comes from both like a really practical, grounded uh, standpoint of like listening to stories and just observing the world around me, but also a lot of more like esoteric and metaphysical ideas. But I think there is a really strong shift in human human consciousness that has been going on for, you know, I was born in 1983, so I would say at least since then, at least since then, um, but has stepped up and really been on, on, I don't know, like a higher octave since 2020 for sure. Maybe even 2016, I would say. And the reason I'm starting there is because, to answer your question, is because when you think about everything as consciousness, meaning, yes, you as a person in your spirit are a form of consciousness, but so is your business, and so is culture, and so is the economy, because really the economy will reflect our belief systems, and our belief systems are based on our culture, and our, our culture is the collective subconscious embodied. And so we are all just parts of that. We are like part of the the tide change and we're all little drops of water. So everything that shifts in our business and in our personality will shift fundamentally across all categories at the same time. And so what I think happens for most of us is we are negotiating how to be understood in a world that's shifting constantly. And so because we are mostly intellectually, um, most of the tools we've been given in our education are intellectual. So it's very compassionate to want to explain to someone what you do in an intellectual way that their mind can feel comfortable with and they can understand why they're interacting with you. And when that way you're explaining, whether it's in your bio and your business card, or it is actually like the fabric of your offering, what you title it and how people interact with you. When it starts to feel like the life force in it is draining, like it's an old too small shelf and you're a hermit crab that needs to get into a new shell. I think that is the moment to start asking if that is your best service to the world at that time. Having said that, I also know what it's like to be so creative and expansive that life, that your nervous system can't catch up to what it is you're trying to create and that that gets mirrored in your client or in your community or in your, or maybe then people that work with you, you know? And so there is this um, place like Melissa Wong, our mutual friend, calls it the stretch zone. Um, I would also call it like the place where you are ex- able to hold your reality together while still expanding, you know? And that is something to approach with like a lot of compassion because I think that because everything is connected, the more we get excited or expansive spiritually, it's almost like our body, our physical body, our nervous system will have to learn how to ground more energy. There's this like metaphor of how 
I believe it's oak trees have really deep roots so that they can grow in such a way where they are really, really tall and wide and open and expansive. And I think people are similar in that way with their creativity, like how rooted do I feel? If I feel rooted enough, then it's time to grow and expand in this new way. Um, so for me, the line is like, this is like, I wish this was a little bit more, I, I had something a little more clear to say, but like, I think we know when we're in flow and when we're not in flow. When we're not in flow, I think we start to feel agitated. And when we feel agitated, I think either we can sort of project that on the outside world as like the outside world is stressing and pressuring me, or we can kind of turn it in on ourselves and say, I'm doing something wrong and sort of get depleted. And so that moment where energetically you start to feel like I'm not in flow, I'm agitated. I think that's the moment to start to see in what way you can bring back the playful, relaxed energy that is probably really, really um, in that you had in droves when you began, you know, <laughs> does that make sense? That sounds very clear. <laughs> that sounds very clear. Uh, I think, I mean, I'll speak for myself. That's the only person I can truly speak for. and. I know that feeling of agitation very intimately and I can feel tempting to point the finger and say, oh, that my circumstances are causing my frustration or my environment hasn't accommodated to allow for my brilliance or this person isn't understanding me or uh, I don't, there's a language barrier, whether it's energetic or with literal words. And it really does even itself out once you recognize that your perspective is up to you. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I think that like in that moment where you're feeling reactive or agitated and it feels like things are happening to you, I think that's the exact moment we have been under-resourced and navigating as a collective. Because at that point, what feels most natural to me is to figure out the safest, most socially acceptable way to abandon myself. And so either I will dissociate by way of not feeling what's going on with me. And so I can overthink, which sometimes feels really bad, but at least is kind of allowing me to escape the deep feelings that I'm having. Or I can go entertain myself, <laughs> which I have, you know, trillions of options for that. So I, I don't, you know, I don't like to act like a conspiracy theorist, but there is this like interesting thing where we have all this education, you know, I went to public school for most of my education and we have all this time to be taught all these things. And this is not one of the things that I was taught what to do in that exact moment where I am overwhelmed and I feel helpless or powerless. Uh, like, what exactly do I do to kind of stay with myself in that moment? And why are all these options? Why are there so many options for like self abandonment, um, like candy out in existence, like in our culture? Like, why is that so normal? And um, that 
you know, for years I've been trying to understand what it means to love yourself. And I think it's gotten to a point where those words feel very annoying to hear because they, they've been, I've heard them so much, you know, but it's like, I realize that what it means is for me is, is, is saying, I am still going to stay here with you no matter what's happening, I'm going to find a way to see you as like a whole and worthy person of not just love and attention, but that like you deserve to exist and that your existence is valuable to me, even if you're experiencing X, Y, or Z. And like, that's the moment that everything can change for us, like a timeline, we can pick an avenue of time to go down. Um, like we're so much more well equipped to choose that timeline or to choose like the next sequence of events when we know how to navigate that one moment. <laughs> I think that really speaks to what I interpret as sort of a self love slash self-agency curriculum that you're building through myths of creation. It just feels so aligned. Yeah, it's so cool hearing you break it down in such simple phrases like that because I think you're so like there's you're so um good at clarifying those ideas into bullets because really what I think is going on is this react I, I feel in the culture of self-improvement, there's like this hyper-reactive pendulum. One is self-love means, why doesn't everyone accept me exactly as I am? I should be exactly as I am. And, 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 and if people don't get that, then they're not worth it or they don't see me. And there's that. And then there's the other one, which is, this is always my personal responsibility. I always have a choice. I can always shift my perspective. And I think both of those things are true but there's like a thousand million shades of gray in between because if we both want those things and then we're in a relation and they conflict, what do we do? Um, or maybe two aspects of us both want two different things and they're in relation or in conflict and then what do they do? And I think that's like the nuance in there is precisely the conversation. I think that will yield us, uh, you know, ideas that can help us create a space where we get to be like a whole person. <laughs> yeah. That's so the dream, no? Being a whole person. <laughs> it sounds so fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um can you tell uh can you tell me more about what what you're practicing through myths in this moment? Okay, so this is hot off the press. I'm going to show So for the last year and a half, I've been creating a course that I'm launching next year called Create Your Cosmology. And this course is about understanding how creative our cultural constructions are, how subjective 
we are as human beings because that's sort of the game. Like you are subjective. That's the deal. You're not going to escape that. (laughs) And how we can take more ownership over the culture and reality we create by noticing and studying the things that are arbitrary or that there are different versions of, you know, like one of my favorite things to talk about is language and how in some languages there's two colors, but in some languages there's 10 colors. And and how does the person walk through the world differently because of the language that they speak? And the whole point of Create Your Cosmology is to sort of take us out of this place of trying to change who we are and change our senses to align with the reality we see. And instead, realign with our senses to change the reality we see. And so I'm sort of taking people through my own imaginative process of creating my my worldview and my perspective and inviting them to do the same with me. So that that hasn't been launched, but that has been being rigorously worked on in the background. And it's like, it's like changing me on a fundamental level as I I'm working on it and building it. And it's like a little bit nerve wracking, you know, in its own way. And I would say, um, yeah, it's my own. It's like everything I taught myself to navigate these kind of transformational, but also exciting times is, is being scaffolded into this course. And then in myths right now, The two main offerings that I have are, well, there's three, I like, are human design readings. And for anyone who's unfamiliar with human design, it's similar to astrology in that it takes a snapshot of your, of an energetic model based on your birth information and tells you about how your energy um, operates in the world in, in, in interacting with others. And it gives you a lot of, it just gives you a totally new perspective of looking at how you operate. And to ground that a little, for example, my energy type in human design is manifesting generator. Manifesting generators are multi-hyphenates and multi-passionates. So you can kind of see the proof is in the pudding in the conversations a little bit. And then I, I do something else called sacred heart to heart which is a modality I started developing outside of my brick and mortar, actually, when I was working one-on-one and doing Reiki with people. I would close the shop after hours and like do these one-on-one sessions. And that modality is really about, actually, the through line with this and the course that I'm creating is creating this space for the person to start hearing the scripts they're running in their head that are trying, that are them trying to talk themselves into changing themselves to adjust to the external reality and kind of starting to reconnect them to the parts of them that are, you know, were there before all those social constructions existed, like that they were born with. And so with that, I'll talk about astrology because I went to school for astrology. Sometimes I'll pull some cards, we'll do some energy work and I'll just create a space for them to sort of connect back into themselves a little bit. And then the other project I have is called Gossamer Gatherings. That one I feel like is the most free form. It's like, you know, it's a more workshop communal format where I invite people in to talk about something that I probably had some kind of big insight in, in the shower. 
you know? And then I, I, I was like, this has just shifted my reality. I came into a different reality <laughs> once I go to the shower and I study and tease out and think about what that thing is and then invite people in to sort of experience that bolt of lightning I felt like I experienced with me. And then I learned from them what they're seeing, you know, how did you see that lightning in the room? What did it light up for you? And then we kind of co-create and go through, you know, rituals or exercises or meditative journeys together to explore that, that theme that came through. So those are like the big, the big four projects. The big four. I I see how they're connected though. And they seem to have sort of ranges of intensity and ranges of form yeah, and structure, and structure. So depending on how much fluidity you want or how much structure you want, you can decide what avenue to take. Yes, exactly. exactly. I too have reckonings in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that pretty deeply today. Like, why does that happen? And I realized that for me, creativity is so um, related to how much relaxation I can allow myself to feel. And I feel deeply relaxed in the shower. I feel deeply unavailable and like undistractable, you know, and there's no like pings and dings and uh, notifications and usually. And so I was thinking a lot about why um, relaxation feels so uh, unattainable on a more regular basis for people, like especially creative people and what they could do for us. If we could invite this idea that relaxing is safe into our worldview, like what would happen for us creatively? So I'm glad to hear you experience this too. (laughs) I do. And I agree with you about like, if you use the word safe and safety is such a strong word when it comes to creativity, when it comes to opportunity, when it comes to the freedom to reorient yourself. Because like, let's just think about something super practical. Like what's something that, that can be reconfigured? Um, Ah, okay. Pouring a glass of water, right? In order for this water to stay in the cup, the cup has to be a strong structure. Mm. The water needs to be safe. (laughs) (laughs) But if there are holes or we think there are holes in our cup, we're not going to feel comfortable pouring the water in. Mm. But there aren't holes in there aren't holes in the cup. (laughs) The only holes that exist are the ones that we're we're creating in our minds. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to drink some water. (laughs) Yeah, I think that like. You know, I've been really sitting with this concept of why creatives have been one of the most, this is a strong word, but I'm going to say there's a lot of brainwashing around creativity because you'll meet people and they'll go, I'm not creative because I don't paint or I don't draw, which is like, you know, the brainwash number one, like what is creativity even like, what does it mean to be creative? And I think that, you know, in our culture, everything has this ability to be commodified and creativity is high on that list. And I think for those of us working in a field that is highly creative, this is an interesting thing to talk about. Um, And I think when we think about commodification, we focus on the end 
user or the product or the monetary value, which puts a lot of pressure on the, the, the playful nature that is involved in creativity, which is to relax. And so I do wonder sometimes how we can become the ones, the creative people who are creating things like what is our responsibility and opportunity in being the ones to rewrite that script in our own creating of our businesses or creating of our, you know, relationships or whatever it is. And I catch myself doing this on a really practical level all the time where I'm like between this time and this time, you're going to do this and you're going to work on this. And then I don't want to work on that thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I start to wonder, you know, would it actually be better to not better, but more, would I find more flow if I built more breaks, more pleasure, more kind of artist's way play dates out in New York or something like that, than it would for me to become even better at time blocking or, you know, and I don't know the answer to that, but I kind of, with this relaxation question, I wonder what the results would be of an experiment like that. Mm. (laughs) When was the last time that you intentionally relaxed? You know, it's hard to say because I do this pretty fun meditation every day that I consider like a full body relaxation, but that's also like a practice and a discipline. So I don't know if that's cheating, you know, (laughs) I don't know if that answer is cheating. I don't think it needs to be spontaneous for it to be impactful. Yeah. I don't know. I think that, I think it has to be sort of like no agenda. I'm wondering what, Mm. if there's like needs to be a little bit of, um, I'm not trying to achieve or attain anything in this moment. And so when I do that meditation, I will say, I'm like, okay, I'm going to call my power back into my body. I'm going to create coherence between all the pieces and parts of me. So I do have like a little bit of a reason I'm doing that, but, um, you know, I think the yesterday I decided that it was like time to go on a walk and it got really, really cold here compared to the day before. And I just went on this wander and I find those wanders where I'm moving to actually be the most relaxing. There's something about my body being in a different environment and also in slight movement that helps me feel really relaxed. So I would say that was the last intentional relaxation. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, what about me? Uh, (laughs) The last time that I relaxed intentionally, you know, with this added caveat of not seeking resolution or seeking a shift that does complicate my answer a bit. (laughs) Um, because I, I also have a regular meditation practice when I think about it, it's, it's purposeful, you know, it's, it's more of a, a a recollection or a reckoning with myself, what I'm feeling in my body just sort of trying to synthesize. And that can be 
at the scheduled time that I do it every morning, or it could be in crisis mode where I'm like, yikes, uh, I'm feeling a lot of things. How can (laughs) I let that settle? Oh, I should close my eyes for a moment. Um, I'm trying with the, the no agenda bit, I think it's probably going to be the last time I just had fun Mm. or like the last time I had a belly laugh, I was not anticipating. And the last time I had fun, you know what? I'm having a lot of fun right now. <laughs> like genuinely, I'm having a lot of fun right now. Um, I I have been doing this podcast consistently for the last year. And I started it up again because I love gathering. I love meeting people and I love hearing about what fills them up with joy and purpose. Uh and I like modeling that in community Mm. and also for the last couple of months there's just it's been really uh active in my life like in my personal life there's just been a lot of movement and a lot of adjustment and so my approach to this podcast has been very uh methodical there we go methodical (laughs) Uh, I was like okay I'm just gonna be consistent I just have to be consistent and um what's the word for when something is you're able to do it consistently because it's not taking up a ton of your energy sustainable oh yeah I needed to be consistent and sustainable Mm. and I had a shift probably around the time that I reached out to you because I was so excited by your work. Like that was the first time that I felt genuinely excited to speak to someone about what they're creating in a while. Mm. And it sparked me to have this conversation with you and it feels really good to be here. And it feels really good to hear about the fluidity of your work. And I think this is a conversation that I needed to hear or be a part of, even though I didn't anticipate it. Mm. Thank you for saying that because, yeah, I think it's really interesting as creatives to think about what it means to make a promise to ourselves to practice something, but also to like hold ourselves with like grace and kindness around when it's energizing us or not. And I feel that, you know, I wish I was a surfer because I think it's the best metaphor, but I'm not a surfer. (laughs) I'm actually not a great swimmer. I feel like that surrender, but like alert presence, that's not this reactive, scared alertness, but this like excited alertness, but you still have like no control over what you're going to be navigating that a surfer has to experience is like the best energetic metaphor for like carving out that space where you need to show up and show up but not in a way where you start to kind of like vacate the premises you know (laughs) because you're so good at showing up um and I feel that it's really interesting that we're talking about sort of relaxation and structures and safety and creativity and formlessness and the sort of interconnectedness between those things, which I feel like are sort of talked about, like they're at odds, like, oh, are you more of a formless person or are you highly structured? Are you, you know, and I think are you more relaxed or are you super like productive or creative? And I think there is this 
we talk about being a whole person. And I think that the one universal thing I notice around my community and my clients is that nature allows them to relax without like having a protocol, you know, like you can do this and this, and that will get your body to relax. Um, And I think it's because nature has all of those things. Like it has a structure, but it also has this like unpredictability within the structure and it has a resting time. And then it's also highly generative, even though it rests a lot and like builds in the resting to its design. And so I wonder if like, sometimes I think about is creativity actually the natural, let's say, it's like the natural product or result or even byproduct of us just sort of relaxing into who we are, you know, like actually do we need to like chill? (laughs) All we have to do is just chill. (laughs) But like you were saying about the glass that the structure or the form, like your podcast, you know, on these days, these things happen and allows the creativity to be like hyper free and it knows it will still find a place to land and ground and be contained, which gives it a feeling of like safety. Like, oh, this is where I'm going. This is the space I have to fill out. So I feel like it's like, how do we allow ourselves to be in need of all those things and also to trust that we already are all those things. And I think it is actually community that reminds us of what we already have, like the resources we already have as we like share and reflect with each other. Because, you know, my dad said this really annoying thing to me one time. I was like, oh, you know, I cut my hair or something. And he was like, no, you didn't. I was like, ah, I think I would know if I cut my hair. And he was like, I see you more than you see you. (laughs) And it's true. Like, I don't really see out of this person that I am, you know? And it's so beautiful to hear someone who can see you from outside of you and kind of tell you what their experience is. And I think we need that, you know? like. We need that um, biofeedback in uh, the like community that we are to sort of reflect what all these resources we already have, you know? (laughs) I think sometimes we put a lot of, speaking for myself, uh, (laughs) I put a lot of pressure on the container for my experience, the medium that I express myself because I wanted to be received, because mm. I wanted to be interpreted. And hearing you speak more about relaxing and about the nature, well, what can be a nature of creativity is reminding me that when we are in our essence, we create forms naturally. Yeah. Yeah, but I also get it. I get the pressure you experience. I relate to that a lot. I'm going through that a lot with my course. And I think that's because when you're part of a, let's say, 
early adopter group of people and you've opted out of something that feels safe and secure, for example, a corporate job, which I literally have never had, but I'm assuming like this is the experience of many, many people. Um, and by the way, that's not to say I haven't had side jobs and things like that. They were just never corporate. <laughs> Be very clear and transparent about that. But I think it feels so privileged to take a chance on yourself to have a dream and then go for it, to believe in that you can create, like, you know, in your website about not yet, you talk about the courage to believe in a world you haven't seen. You know, I think it feels so privileged in a way that the pressure is natural to make that thing quote unquote succeed. And our understanding of how we can understand our, how we can best understand that is looking at the form it needs to take and how people are going to interact with it. And so like, I totally get the pressure and how it can be hard to sort of relax around it. At the same time, I really believe that what we're doing in 10 years and 20 years is going to be so much easier to understand in the collective nervous system because of the work we are doing now, you know? And that's true for like anyone trying anything new in any sense. And in my worldview, whether it's seen or unseen, I still think it's like creating a pocket of energy where you're not kind of feeling around in the dark. And there's a little slight bit of a path. And even if you don't take that path, at least it's there for you to see and study. So um, I do want to say, like, I do think it is a unique time to be carving out a place in the work world for yourself, because I think this is going to be so normal <laughs> numbers wise or normative uh, in the next two decades. That's just like a feeling I have. Well, thanks for cultivating this energy with me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking about um uh I've been negotiating my relationship with social media a lot over these last 2 years, you know, like with the pandemic there was just a reorienting of shared space. Mm. And I tried out, like, am I going to be an influencer for a second? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how is this going to work? Like, how am I going to communicate and gather with people in this new internet reality? I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be an influencer. I don't think that's my vibe personally. <laughs> but I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for us to, like, connect a lot of these dots that we're all, these little awakenings where you're talking, you talked about how we're experiencing a collective shift. Yeah. And consciousness. And I, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think living in this internet land, um, gives us a lot more data points so that the shift can happen more cohesively. And I say this optimistically, um, smoothly, healthily, yeah. easily, <laughs> easily. I think like, you know, the internet is really funny because it's, you can look at it with like a lot of awareness of itself. You know what I mean? Or you can kind of, um, like, for example, I've never really been on TikTok because I get, I get too confused on that platform, but I'm like, 
oh, there's like these different trends and things you can do. And then it'll boost your visibility on the algorithm. And people talk a lot about how Instagram is becoming really more about videos and how you really need to, like, I had one reel I put out go viral and it was like literally a two second video or a three second video, which I never do, as you can tell from talking to me <laughs> for a lot of context. <laughs> I don't really like a sound bite. Like I want to hear the whole thing. And so I think of the internet as this thing that's like highly decontextualized because you can only fit so much in their framework and it likes things. The more kind of decontextualized something is, the more it likes it in a way, because, um, it becomes like weirdly universal or easy mm-hmm. to digest. And I think like, I very much purposely rebel on that platform. Like I'm like, oh, people hate 15 minute videos. Like I'm going to put out like <laughs> minute videos. Like, like people don't read captions. Like, okay, well, here's all these long form captions or like, you know, and I don't feel, um, I just think that it's inevitable that it will, the technology and the platform will change. But I know a lot of people, especially brick and mortar people who are super frustrated with the algorithms being so opaque and them just so clearly trying to suppress businesses so that they have to buy ads and all this kind of stuff. But I think it's fun because it's, um, it's like, it's reacting to us all the time you know, and it's, it's like, it's, it's alive and it's really up to us in a lot of ways, how we interact with it, even though there is a lot of like political power and money and all this in the backbone. But like, I, I like to think that you can like throw a little bit of a glitch into (sighs) the, the Instagram matrix if you want to. And I have made so many friends and community members because of the way I interact Mm -hmm. with Instagram. And honestly, I'm a pretty shy person in a group setting. But on the internet, I have time to decide if I want to share myself in a certain way. And I have space before I have to perceive someone else's reaction to me. So... I have found it to be a really fun, almost energetic experiment to see how, um, let's say, to see how honest and transparently and from my heart I can share on there and see what comes back. Sometimes it's nothing, but sometimes it's something. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's super cool. I like the idea of just seeing what resonates hopping into this really complex nuanced framework and being like all right what happens when i do me what comes up <laughs> yeah totally and like there are things i know i could do that would be really good for me on that platform from like a linear um standpoint like i know it'd be great if i did a bunch of like graphics about this is what your chart human design chart means or I know people would really like it if I did um 
like one of those, you know, like the, the mood boards of the week and take 10 people's slides that really resonated with me. And I love that. Actually, my friends are really good at that. And I share a ton of that, that content. But to me, it is like, if I'm not singing my unique song, then how am I inviting the people who can hear me to find me? You know, like, and so when I try to play the game in a way that's too based on analytics, I might find people showing up into my world that really don't understand me because I set it up that way. Mm. Um, so I think it's worth saying. And I also probably think there's a lot of creatives and philosophical, spiritual people who also bury the lead too much. And I would, I would include myself in that where it's like people can love your work and resonate with it and then be like, what do you actually do? And how do I actually work with you? You never say. Mm-hmm. And so I also think it's good to um, like what we were talking about before with these like trying to want to want to be connected with like want wanting to be found and seen and I find a lot of uh, value in reminding myself to tell people what I'm doing <laughs> I really it really just comes back to this core subject of respecting that line of resonance, whether it's on the internet, whether it's with your offerings, whether it's with the words that you speak, whether it's with a brick and mortar space, whether it's with the communities that you build. Um, And I think that you're dancing beautifully, Xenia. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell me one practice that you're doing that's helping you discover who you are? Yes, I am. Actually, I'm going to share two and they're really simple. The first one is I've been reading a lot about the neurons in the brain and the electromagnetic, or sorry, the neurons in the heart and the electromagnetic field in the heart. And there's this idea that the heart also has a mind. And in metaphysics, there's this idea that the heart is the portal to like the past, present, and future and everything you want to know about yourself. So there's a very practical technique I do where I imagine all the energy in my mind because I'm a very thinky person dropping into the physical space of my heart and I just sit in silence and breath and observe anything that's coming up in that space and I do find that it shifts my energy like pretty quickly into like a calm cohesive curious state instead of one that's trying to like solve a problem you know And so that's the first one that I do. And the second one is I love to go to bodies of water. Um, Here in New York, there's just like the East River. And I like to go when it's sunny and I like to look at the water, the sunlight bouncing off the water. And the reason I like to do that is because there's a lot we don't know about photonic light yet. Our bodies emit photonic light like light, the same kind of photons that come out of the sun, like come out of our bodies. And the sun has to travel like 93 million miles. That particle needs to travel that far just to get through space and then reach the earth. 
and our eyes know how to receive photons and like get like messages from light, which we can see as images, or you can think of in a more kind of philosophical, esoteric way if you want to. But there's a lot of metaphysical studying I've been doing around how uh, I feel we're going to learn a lot more about water, the metaphysics of water, that water has a memory, that water is a very spiritual thing, that water is a healer. Um, and so when I do that practice, it's a really like passive and chill way for me to see if it's changing anything within my experience in that day or in that moment or over time. And it is like my secret feeling that um, we're going to learn a lot about like how we interact with nature and how it changes our epigenetic markers, meaning the markers that change our gene expression. And that through interacting with like the world in this way um, of like wonder that we could potentially change the way our our genes are expressing our gifts and impacting our health. So I like to do that because it's really beautiful. It's really mesmerizing and it's really easy and it's free. <laughs> the big four. <laughs> Thank you so much, Xenia. It's been an absolute delight. Uh, can you shout out where folks can find out more about your work and how they can work with you? Sure. So um, I have a pretty active Instagram and the handle is at myths of creation. The S is plural. And I have a website of the same name, mythsofcreation.com. And if you go on the link in my bio on Instagram, you'll see all the ways to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, the link to my podcast, the link to this little book project I put out called the universe is an art project. And anything else that I'm cooking up. So that's the best place to find me. Oh, thanks so much, Xenia. I'm glad that we got that hot take about that new course. <laughs> I was surprised when I shared it too. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful. Um, and I'm probably going to go look at some shiny water later today too. <laughs> Thank you. Have fun. <laughs> Wasn't that so much fun with Xenia? I hope you enjoyed yourself. I know I did. And I am inspired by this conversation with a question. Question for you. What are you learning from the bodies of water around you? Xenia is learning about metaphysics and photon light and how water is a healer. I am learning that I need to hydrate more frequently. <laughs> uh, what are you learning? Please share that when you rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, whether that is Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give me an answer to your question and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Not Yet. The podcast is hosted by me, Paige Polk, and produced by Paige Polk International. The show art is made by Elizabeth Olgeen, and the music is by Elder. Don't forget to subscribe here. And if you want more of this love in your life, visit notyetseries.com to join the Not Yet Project and community.